Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, welcome everyone who is joining us here on campus. Welcome to Crosspoint. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online today. And a special welcome to my friends over in the bonus room. Hi, friends. I know you guys are having the best time ever and the coffee smells great. So hi to you. Um, This morning, everyone, we are celebrating the beginning of Advent. And more importantly, we're celebrating the hope the hope that we find in Jesus. And so this is what the Christmas season is all about. So we're going to refocus and remember what Jesus has done in this season. So I want to take a moment in, in that vein to just extend a special invitation to you to visit us and join us for worship at our Christmas Eve gatherings. Join us as we worship the King and have a little bit of fun. And you know, what we're doing this year is we're going to have two early interactive family worship gatherings at 3 and 5 p.m. Both gatherings, get this, both gatherings will kick off with sleigh rides. Not only sleigh rides, but sleigh rides and a petting zoo in our gymnasium. Now, the sleigh rides won't be in the gymnasium. They'll be on the north grounds. That would be a lot in one room. But sleigh rides and a petting zoo. Um, Come early and enjoy the festivities with us. Uh, you know, these activities begin before each gathering at 2 and 4 p.m. So we would love to see you there and your loved ones just before you head home to be together. Uh, this is also an excellent opportunity to invite your friends and your neighbors. I promise we won't let Pastor Rob make it really weird. Me and Amanda and Delaney will be on our best behavior, and they won't regret coming, and they'll want to come back. (laughs) So most importantly, we want to let you know that your friends and your neighbors are welcome, so we won't be weird. Okay? Sound like a deal? Okay. You know, make sure uh, for Christmas Eve that you register online if you want to join us in person for worship. Uh, The outside gatherings you don't need to register for. Now, today is the beginning of our Advent series, The Cast of Christmas. And so in this series, let me explain what we're doing. We're studying the supporting characters in the story of Jesus' birth. So what can we learn from their lives? What can they teach us about Jesus, his incarnation, his unfolding kingdom, and ourselves? Well, let's find out together. And so before we begin, let me remind you, you can find some really simple digital sermon notes at thecrosspointchurch.ca. If you want to follow along and write some notes there, or some reflections, journal maybe. But let's let's jump right in. So if you have your Bible or uh, your phone, I'm going to get you to turn or swipe to Matthew chapter 2. And so Matthew's gospel sits right at the beginning of the New Testament, so you can easily find it in the table of contents right there, just after the Old Testament. And I'll let you get there, swipe there, turn there, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. We'll have it up there as well. Now, let me tell you about the kingdom of Herod the Great. See, Herod was a son of privilege. His father, Antipater, was a wealthy and influential Arabian. Antipater and his people were converts to Judaism, but they were friends of Rome. 
Herod's family were granted Roman citizenship by their friends Mark Antony and Julius Caesar. And so first Herod was made governor and joint ruler in Galilee and then Judea. But during the Jewish civil wars, Josephus tells us that Herod took the Judean throne by force. And at the age of 36, he became its unchallenged king. And so Herod held this bloody grip on the throne for 32 years. See, Herod was this political force. He was called the master builder of Jerusalem in the Eastern Roman Empire. Politics, motive, and agenda were his birthright. He was born into it. And so Herod gave the people of Jerusalem and the people of Rome what they wanted. He restored the temple in Jerusalem and appointed the priesthood to suit his every interest. Fortresses, cities, theaters, harbors, and pagan temples were constructed across Judea and the Eastern Empire in the name of Herod. And of course, many lavish palaces for him to vacation in luxury. This was the kingdom that Herod built. But see, Herod wasn't as outstanding as his title makes him sound. He would do anything to preserve his kingdom. His kingdom was built on the backs and tainted by blood. And all of this to sit on a throne that wasn't his, to keep a kingdom that he could not keep. And so to solidify power, Herod was ruthless and tyrannical. He divorced his first wife, Doris, and banished her and their kids. Also, he can marry Mariamne, the Hasmonean princess. Whoa. And Herod's kingdom grew in magnificence. As he did, his mind grew sick. He was known for his wild paranoia. The halls of his palace echoed with conspiracy and betrayal. Everyone was out there to take what he had built. Herod feared his family the most. And Herod became prone to violent jealousy. In one horrific attack, Herod ordered the murder of his beloved wife, Mariamne, their two sons, her brother, mother, and grandfather. And so Herod descended into darkness when the light to all men arrived. And so when the king of the Jews was born in Bethlehem, Herod would snuff him out. And it was this Herod who received the wise men from the east, who uncovered where Christ would be born and used the wise men to find the boy king of the Jews. And this Herod who ordered the massacre massacre of baby boys in Bethlehem, driving Jesus, Mary, and Joseph out of Judea and into Egypt. See, Christmas is Jesus' story. But what can we learn from Herod? You know, there's a lot that's revealed in his reaction to Jesus. And it's a strangely familiar response. Let me show you what I mean. So let's read from chapter 2 in Matthew, starting with verse 1. And we'll just make a couple observations as we go through the chapter. Let's read together from Matthew, starting verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and and have come to worship him. And so when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Let's stop here for a moment. 
What's really clear here, this far in the story, is that Jesus is a threat. The king of the Jews had the attention of Herod and everyone who was invested in Herod's kingdom. This baby boy was not harmless. He had the rightful claim to the throne that Herod had made his own. And there, the very incarnation of Christ is confrontational to him at the deepest level possible. It was prophesied, unavoidable, unstoppable, unstoppable, and this boy, Jesus, would come to reclaim what is his. And so this time of the year, we, we like to be sentimental. We make the birth of Christ to be a, a party, and, and I think we should. That's appropriate. But sometimes I wonder this. What if the birth of Jesus signals a challenge to our own personal sovereignty? Think about this for a moment. Jesus comes with a claim. What claim does the king make on your life? The truth is this. Everything about Jesus threatens our natural impulses and challenges our broken humanity. His birth is just the beginning of that claim. In the way of Christ's kingdom is traveled on the road of self-realization and confession. Jesus can be offensive because he causes ourselves uh, to see who we really are. He threatens how we have our comforts and how we execute safety. How we spend our money and how we express our sexuality. The list is endless. Has Jesus ever broken into your life and stirred things up a bit? Making a challenge, making a claim? You know, maybe Jesus has challenged you to do something big and scary, like quitting your job, selling everything, and moving to India. Have some of you been there? I see that hand. But maybe Jesus has challenged you to do maybe something very subtle and secret, like maintaining purity and generosity. Maybe Jesus has challenged you to do something that is just really, really, really hard, like to love, support, and spend time with people who you just think are wrong, weak, and stupid. Wouldn't that be hard? What if Jesus asked you to do that? Jesus threatens our every comfort in error. He has a claim to your throne. And the very birth of Christ causes trouble for broken humanity. So Herod was troubled. And so he gathered all the leaders in Jerusalem. And then what did he do? Well, let's keep reading. Starting in verse 4, Matthew says, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is just so interesting. The scribes read this prophecy of Micah to Herod, and they tell him where the king will be born and how he will rule. Get this, Herod has a kingdom in Israel in this story, at this time. But Jesus will rule. 
And let me tell you this about his rule. Herod has a title, but Jesus has a people. The ones he has claimed that are his. Like David, his rule will be like one of a shepherd, the prophecy says. And he will be lowly and gentle and sacrificial, carrying for his lost sheep. And that's not it. Let me tell you more. We know that one day Jesus will return a second time. That's our future hope. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ, will be seated with God on the throne for eternity. Amen? This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that has been born to us. So you see, not only is Jesus' threat to Herod's kingdom um, tangible, but his kingdom is nothing like it. You know, Herod, he two-steps the political landscape and terrorizes everyone who opposes him, desperately clasping for every foothold and every opportunity for control. For those of you who are anxious, you know what that's like. But see, Herod, his kingdom is different. Herod kills to keep his kingdom. He destroys. But not Jesus. His power is not of our world. Well, Herod fortifies, Jesus arrives as a vulnerable babe. He's not born into power or influence, wealth or title, but becomes a boy, a refugee, a Nazarene, and a servant. But still he rules. No matter how rejected, how hated or assaulted he is, he rules. And it's because Jesus was born for a purpose. Jesus dies to share his kingdom. That's the difference. And so it seems silly, but when we are at our worst, Jesus gets down on our level. When we are hated, hurt, and broken, he is filled with empathy. And when he sees that, he enters our world and joins us in our pain, and he redeems it. He changes it. See, this is the nature of his kingdom. You know, Paul the apostle says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says this, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, the birth of Jesus presents us with a new kind of of kingdom. One that seems foolish and weak by the world's terms, even unattractive, a weird countercultural way of life that it demands of us. Think about it. If you're honest today, you don't have to say it out loud, what is your gut reaction to things that are weak, foolish, or unpopular? Me too. I don't like it. I'm working through it. And so when Jesus comes into our world, I think that sometimes we prefer our king the way we envision him, not as he is. You know, we dream of one that reveals himself in strength and power as the world defines it, that protects and preserves our way of life. It's funny, you know, recently I've read that in certain evangelical circles, some argue that we like our Jesus to look a lot more like John Wayne. Right? The all-American cowboy, the vision of strength and machismo. The duke who rules with a measure of might and gunpowder. 
upholding the cause, the cause, and defeating his foes. But thanks be to God, that is in Jesus. Sorry, John Wayne. You see, we can't prefer the lion and forget the lamb. He, Jesus, is just so much more. Instead, Jesus came as we needed him, like one led to the slaughter. He rules with a measure of his character, who he is and how he is. And so his power isn't of this world. It's confusing. It's confounding. It's, it's mind-blowing when you think about it. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and his weakness is more powerful than our strength. This is the threat of Jesus. This is his claim on us. And so Jesus completely challenges our vision of power. We've talked a lot about power the last month here at Crosspoint. Maybe if we think about it, it's how we seek power, influence, or money. Maybe that is our greatest pursuit deep down. Have we bought into the world's picture of leadership and strength and success? If you were to tell me who you admire, I would tell you what you think power is. And then I would ask you, is that the same example we have in Jesus? Or there's another thing. Maybe it's in how we wield our power. Husbands, think about this. How do you wield your power in your marriage? What would Jesus do? Women, how do you treat your employees? Crosspoint, how do we care for the sick and the weak and vulnerable? Are they a threat or an opportunity? The advent of Jesus is challenging because we aren't big fans of being told what to do and who to follow. Our stomachs churn at the thought of weakness and vulnerability. And Herod almost certainly despised all of these things. And yet he was confronted by a vulnerable king who appeared to be weak. And this king had an authoritative claim on the throne that Herod had made his personal kingdom. So what did he do about it? Well, again, let's go back to the word. Let's keep reading. So starting in chapter 7. So, you know, the scribes told Herod that Christ was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. And so in verse 7, Matthew says that Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them, what time the star had appeared so he could figure out how old this, this boy was and when and what to look for. And then in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. When you read that now, isn't that just the biggest bunch of baloney you've ever read? So I can worship him. You know, Herod just reeks of murderous intent and conspiracy. His motives are so twisted. How could Herod worship Christ while he sat in his throne? This is the duplicity of Herod. The distortion between his world and his deeds. The stark contrast between the wonders of what he built and his character. And so the worst part of all of this, when you read this, is that this duplicity is strangely familiar to all of us. See, because when we read about Herod's double dealing and deceitfulness, we must face the truth about ourselves. 
See, Matthew features Herod to show us two kings and two kingdoms. The first coming of Christ invites us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And the struggle we face now is a conflict between those two kingdoms, and it's internal. And the problem is that as much as we're appalled by Herod, we can be just like him. Let me tell you how the Apostle Paul says that we are naturally hostile towards God. He says in Romans, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. What does that mean? Well, to explain, uh, in his book, Hitting Christmas, Timothy Keller expands on this idea. He writes this. Let's read together. Keller says, according to the Bible, the evil of the world ultimately stems from the self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and self-absorption of every human heart. Each of us wants the world to orbit around us and our needs and desires. We do not want to serve God or our neighbor. We want them to serve us. And in every heart, then, there is a little King Herod that wants to rule and that is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence and sovereignty. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. This is a natural enmity of the human heart against all claims of sovereignty over it. It rises up a little when minor claims are made over us. But Jesus' claims of authority are ultimate and infinite. No heart unaided can gladly surrender to him. What he's saying is that we all have something deep within us that resists Christ's claim on us. But that's not why we're here today. There is hope. Jesus not only rules, but he shepherds. He welcomes the sheep who have gone astray. And the good news is this, that Paul continues to say this. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And later Paul continues. He says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been reconciled in Christ to God. Me and you. And so one day, you know, we're going to enjoy his presence fully at his second coming. But today, as we reflect on his first appearance, perhaps some of you don't always feel like you're at peace with God. Maybe his kingdom is still confronting yours. And so the incarnation of Jesus confronts every one of us on an intimate level. See, Jesus is a threat to the self-interested kingdoms that we have built for ourselves and the ones that keep resurfacing time after time. And yet his kingdom makes an authoritative claim on our lives that makes us wince because he wants to rule over what we believe and what we do. But through all of this, we are confronted with the truth about ourselves. We're hostile towards God. And our hope is revealed in Jesus. We discover what some might call a growth edge. You know, I read about this, um, this popular psychology term recently. 
A growth edge is an area in our lives where we could stand to see positive change or even transformation. But better yet, some people call this a dangerous opportunity. I like that term a lot better. Because mainly because it's uncomfortable and, and vulnerable, but often the process is painful. It sits at the very limit of our ability, and there it is when we're ready to face it. See, our growth edge is our natural hostility towards Christ and his claim. And so when we build our own kingdoms in and of this world, it creates an internal conflict in us. But when we accept that we are hostile, this confession can turn the fight around. And so today as we celebrate the advent of Jesus, I want to tell you this. Jesus, his person knowing him, Jesus is a dangerous opportunity. Facing him will mean accepting our hostility towards him, yes. Knowing him will mean accepting our weakness and our shortcomings. Receiving him, though, will mean letting him serve you through his humility and vulnerability. And trusting him, especially for everyone here today, trusting him will totally transform you, bring you peace, and fill your life with hope. So I want to ask you today, will you let your defenses down? Again, I know you've done it before. Will you do it again? Will you lay your weapons down and come out from behind the palace walls? Will you humble yourself and, and offer yourself to Jesus as you are? Will you let him serve you, wash your feet, and suffer and die for you? Will you bow before the boy king of the Jews and the suffering lamb of Christ? Will you welcome Jesus into your world and let him love you? Um, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland says this about our Jesus. He says, Jesus does not love like us. We love until we're betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through our forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Go to Jesus. And all this means is open yourself up to him and let him love you. And so today, um, as we prepare to close and transition to the end of the gathering, I want to take a moment for us to just reflect and to pray. And so I want you guys to close your eyes with me now. And I want you to bring this question to God as we pray together. Here it is. What does Herod, Herod's story reveal about me? Maybe you already know, but maybe you still need to listen. What does Herod's story reveal about me? You know, I, I, I know that some of you must be joining us today or online or in the bonus room, and you just don't have peace with God. And I, I, if that's you, I want to be careful to invite you to put your faith in Jesus. We can't miss that. Jesus came and he died for that. But for everyone here today, maybe you're just struggling. You're not experiencing the peace that Jesus, you have given to us. 
And so as your eyes are closed and you're taking this to the Father, let me ask you this. What is happening in your heart? And more specifically, is, is there a little Herod in your heart making lots and lots of noise? Think about this. The interpretation of that little Herod is, what specifically is Christ asking you to do that is producing resistance in your soul? You feel it whenever that topic comes up or we talk about this. You get sick to your stomach. You have pressure on your chest. There's resistance. So if that's you today and you feel that around a certain subject or thing that, or some command that Jesus has made, something he is claiming from you, if that's you, how can you trust Jesus with that? How can you honor that claim in your life and let him love you? You know, really practically, this is so different for all of us, but what is one practical thing you can do this week to surrender yourself fully to Christ? You're not doing this alone. You have his body, the church. You have the Holy Spirit. What is causing resistance in your heart? Let me pray for you before we close, and then Delaney will come and close up the gathering. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your incarnation. We thank you that you came and you dwelt among us. You intervened. And while we were still sinners, you came and died for us. Help us resist the kingdom of this world and receive yours. Help us. And so you will rule now and forevermore. And to you belongs all the glory and honor. We love you. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.